This is Tim from Nature's Farm Camp. You're listening to 1590 WCGO, Chicago's Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in 3, 2, 1. Live from a cul-de-sac somewhere in Evanston, Illinois, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. After 20 years, still Chicago's only deep green gardening and environment program. Heard every Saturday morning on 1590 WCGO. Chicago's Smart Talk. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. They're not Robin and Marion. They're not even Robin and Batman. But they are a dynamic duo. Here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. Who says we're not Robin and Batman? Uh huh. Hey, good morning, dynamic duo half. <laughs> yeah. Uh, welcome. Good morning, everybody. And, uh, I don't know. This is a weird, it's like a weird string of beautiful yeah. Saturday mo- and Sunday mornings every time we come in here. I remember there was a, a, a point at which every time we came into the studio, it'd be raining outside mm-hmm. or a blizzard or something. Well, that was a Q4. Uh, oh, was that, uh... Remember with the window open, it was always raining or something And outside? then you had to try to turn on the air conditioner, yes. but it was in the window, which was right at... That was a very different kind of situation. Uh, But here at uh, 1590 WCGO, the weather is always sunny. Now, how do they do that? I know because it's in Evanston, right? And things are always better in the suburbs, as we know. Eh. (laughs) I I like Ben Ben Boquist's uh, response. "Eh, Yeah, eh, shrug. eh." (laughs) We need to post a photo of Ben someday as he's shrugging and smiling. Just straight faced. Uh, no, as goofy as possible. Uh, welcome to the show. We're very, very pleased uh, to have. Now, I, it's, see, you, you deal with your guests as, as they come to you. And, um, of course, we heard from the folks uh, who published the book, Midwestern Native Shrubs and Trees. That would be Ohio University Press. Ohio University Press. And they said, Charlotte Aylman will come in and talk to you. And, of course, I've been down this road before because I've interviewed Charlotte before for mm-hmm. two other books at two other radio stations. So every time I move to a new radio station, she gets a new book out. But the point is, it's not just Charlotte. It's also Bernard L. Schwartz who's also part of every mm-hmm. book. But you don't get him. They don't say Bernie's going to be there too, but he is because mm-hmm. he always shows up. And he took a lot of the photos. And he took a lot of the photos. So he's he's an integral, not integral, in- integral part. Don't go don't go down that road. <laughs> not integral, not uh, uh what's the other one that that people say uh electoral. No, it's electoral. Not electoral college, uh, but uh, Bernie's part of this too, and and he's here out there, so which is great. I, and I'm and I told them, I said, I don't care if your publicist said it's just going to be you, Charlotte. I'm going to make Bernie say something. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the way this works because he's part of the book, so he's going to do it. But it's a wonderful book, uh, a companion piece to an, the one I interviewed them about last time, which that one was the Midwestern Native Garden. Native Alternatives to Non-Native Flowers and Plants. Okay, now this is Midwestern Native Trees and Shrubs. Because it's not just flowers. It's it's so much more cool. It's, it's yeah. And basically, the subtitle could be the title of a talk I do. Everything you do in your garden is wrong. Um, and, and I don't mean that in, 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 in beating you up way, just as a fact. Because it's something they point out in the mm-hmm. book. That we have been... We've been overrun by our own horticultural industry, okay? We have been sold out 
by our own horticultural industry in America. I think the quote is 80% of the plants in the nursery trade today are non-native exotics. Right. Uh, I actually put that on the blog. So if you go to MikeNovak.net, um, you you will see that. Uh, and it's and it's kind of terrifying, actually, um, that, as, as they say, it seems counterintuitive, but the majority of plants used in agriculture, forestry, and horticulture in North America are not native to the continent. One of the biggest, and this is from the book, one of the biggest yet least recognized impacts humans are having on urban habitats is a change in vegetation from from predominantly native to non-native species. Now, you'd say, so what? It looks good. What do we care? Well, it actually does have an effect. It, uh, it, it, It affects the other species out there, mostly insects and birds, but also by extension, mammals and reptiles and lizards and amphibians, whatever you have out there. We're all affected by it. So uh, in just a couple of minutes, Charlotte Edelman and uh, Bernard L. Schwartz will come in and talk about Midwestern native uh, shrubs and trees. Uh, You can call us at 847-475-1590 if you have any questions or comments. As always, we'd love to hear from Mm -hmm. you. Or tweet to us at Mike Now. Uh, I think in the last part of the show today, we're going to tell you about some really cool stuff we're doing on tomorrow's show. Uh, tomorrow is going to be jam-packed, too. So two full days of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Please join us. Now's the time to get on board with one of McHenry County's premier sustainability and healthy living events. If your business offers products or services that are eco-friendly, healthy, locally produced, or energy efficient, McHenry County College wants you to join them as an exhibitor at its annual Green Living Expo. The event takes place November 4th, but registration for vendor and artist space is now open. McHenry County College is celebrating its 50th anniversary, and this year's Green Living Expo is going to be bigger than ever. They've added an artist walk where visitors can shop and chat with local sustainable artists. And if you offer eco-friendly holiday gifts, you'll have a head start on the season. Peggy and I were there last year, and the expo is a great way to interact with McHenry County's green community. Register today for the McHenry County College Green Living Expo. Call 815-479-7765 or email sustainability at mchenry.edu. Let's face it, sometimes we overdo physical activity. That's when to give Dr. Bonnie Flaster a call. Dr. Flaster is a chiropractor who treats back and neck pain, but addresses foot, knee, shoulder, and wrist pain too, all with gentle, non-force adjustments. And she'll talk to you about your problems and work with you to devise the best treatment strategy. Find health tips at rivernorthwellness.com. Call Dr. Bonnie Flaster at 312-642-7545 and get back to feeling good. I'm meteorologist Rick DeMille. Bringing a lot of social science into climate change is really important. People who teach climate change now, you have to really get into how it's affecting people, how it's affecting the ability for people to cope, how it's affecting the ability of people to adapt or to mitigate. Stick around for some more insight into weather and climate and how it might be affecting you, your lives, and your garden. On WCGO 1590, Chicago Smart Talk. This is your talk. We're going to be here for a long time. Only on 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and it's a pleasure to have back in the studio, and yet the (laughs) three books and three different radio stations, uh, and here they are, Charlotte Edelman and Bernard L. Schwartz, who are the authors 
of Midwestern native shrubs and trees. Now, I know because I can see Bernie in the corner there. He's got his hands, <laughs> arms akimbo, and he's, and he's withdrawn into himself because he doesn't want to be part of the conversation. I'm going to make him be part of the conversation for just a few seconds, and then you don't, get to, you don't have to say anything anymore after that, Bernie, unless you feel like it, okay? So what I want to ask you guys, because you, you've done several books now, uh, how does how does the collaboration between the two of you work, Bernie? I know that you take photographs, uh, Charlotte. I uh, uh, I assume you do a lot of the writing. Uh, how how does this break down? And go ahead, Charlotte. You can start, and Bernie can jump in whenever he feels like it. I'm going to get a word out of you. You know I'm going to do that. That's uh, that's my job here. Well, Bernie is very knowledgeable about uh, plants, and uh, we often talk about uh, you know the different species. Uh, and discuss the photographs and how they correspond to the entries. And Bernie is, but Bernie's the one who's really did did all the uh, illust, you know, got all the illustrations. Either he took the photographs. <laughs> oh himself. well, see now that's a very important. I know folks. I can't, uh, my partner Kathleen does uh, historical uh, um, photographic books, and and even when you write history and you have photos with it, that's a huge part of it. Doing the research, making sure you've got the right photos i mean that it, it's an important part to just to know that you got it right that they're accurate that you're not you and and then you want good photos and you want quality photos they want clarity you want them displayed well this is all very difficult stuff it so. is and bernie tramped through the chicago botanic garden and morton arboretum looking for the various native midwestern plants and of course the cover he got that beautiful picture of a native crab apple most people don't know there are native crab apples, and they're gorgeous, extremely fragrant, and that's that's a beautiful picture Bernie took. Mm-hmm. Where can you find a native crab apple? Well, well this, this was at the Mor- Morton's Arboretum. Just go ahead, pull, pull that mic over to him. Um, I, I know he's gonna, not going to come to the mic, so we'll make the mic. <laughs> he's go to he's him. looking at me like no. <laughs> okay, yeah, it was at Morton's Arboretum where we took that. Uh, I Charlotte does the writing; I do the images. That's it. Well, that's a pretty good uh, division of labor, if you ask me, because if you're doing uh, a book about plants, you certainly need your images. And uh, there's some remarkable ones in there. And so congratulations, Bernie, on that. Um, and uh, it takes us to the the subject. And we mentioned this a little bit on Mighty House, the show that's on before us when we were talking to Ron Calgill. Uh, th- and I don't think most people understand this. I mean, I, I think one of the things that I have become aware of since I first interviewed you guys maybe 12, 13 years ago, um, and at which point I knew nothing. Um, I was an idiot, and um, I'm still an idiot in a lot of ways, but I've, but I've learned a lot more in those years. And one of the things I've learned is how little we understand as homeowners, as landscapers in our own yards about what used to be there and how we've transformed the landscape. And you write about this mm-hmm. in, in uh, Midwestern Native Shrubs and Trees. For one thing, I, I, as I mentioned in my blog post, um, you're kind of channeling Doug Tallamy, who wrote Bringing Nature Home, and he's become sort of the guru for this movement. And the movement is, hey, folks, it's not that native plants perform better or look better. It's that they're necessary if we are to sustain wildlife on this planet or in this area. And if we don't, we're going to lose that wildlife. And that's the reason he says we need natives. Um, and it used to, the argument wasn't really about that for a long, long time. Um, I assume you were kind of aware of that from, from the beginning. No, I mean, these are concepts that uh, are, you know, becoming more apparent to all of us, to me, let's say, as an individual over time. I mean, I wasn't born knowing any of this, unfortunately. <laughs> when Bernie and I uh, landscaped, if you want to call it that, our backyard, uh, we put in all kinds of non-native plants when we first did it mm-hmm. because I, I had no idea. I didn't think in those terms. It never occurred to me. And, and so it's something that's I've learned over time. Now I've learned it so well that I would never plant a non-native plant. But that yeah. is, and I because I feel that there's so little space left to plant anything that if you're going to make the best use of a space, that's what I want to do. I want to make the best use of a space. So mm-hmm. I would want to plant something that would be 
the most productive for uh, wildlife. And that's one of the things about trees and shrubs. They're the most productive uh, uh, kinds of plants for butterflies and moths to lay their eggs on, which is kind of amazing. Everyone thinks in terms of flowers. But if you'll notice, the oak trees host, native oaks host, I think it's 534 species of butterflies and moths Mm -hmm. compared to most of the imported ones from Europe and Asia, which will host probably zero. Mm -hmm. And that's why we don't have very many butterflies anymore. There's nowhere for them to lay their eggs. Right, and that's because, folks, and you need to hear this message, because you got ewes in your yard and because you got lilacs, and you go, no, no, a lilac's pretty and it gives me the flower. Well, the purists in the business and, and, and the people who are serious about their plants look at a lilac and they say, except for two weeks of the year, it's a pretty unremarkable plant. Um, and it doesn't provide food for our native insects, uh, which feed our native birds, which feed our native, as I said, all of our native, you know, it goes up the food chain, mammals and, and reptiles yeah. and amphibians and all of it. And Charlotte made a really excellent point about nesting season at this time of the year. People assume birds are going to be eating fruit and berries and birdseed. And um, as as you were saying, chickadees, hummingbirds, all of them are feeding larvae to the young birds. Yeah, nobody, you know, it's the funniest thing because we all have our preconceptions. We just assume that a hummingbird, for example, only uh, drinks nectar, nectar, which Mm -hmm. they do. But they also eat uh, spiders and all kinds of insects. I mean, that's a little hummingbird flying around eating insects. That's often why it's going to a flower to get an insect. But as far as the nesting, as you say, the, uh, nesting um, parent birds, 96% it is the statistic of land birds feed their baby birds insects. They don't feed them birds. They don't feed them fruit. Mm-hmm. And so in order to have insects, you have to have the uh, native plants that the insects lay their eggs on. And uh, and when you have all plants from Asia and Europe, the population of insects drops radically, and there isn't enough uh, insect food for the birds to feed their baby birds. So people don't know that, but there used to be all kinds of birds around here that aren't here anymore. And, uh, of course, what you don't see, you don't think about, but they were here. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a very important point. And, of course, as you also mentioned, caterpillars are one of the main food sources because they're so full of protein and fat that Mm -hmm. the birds just really want them to feed their baby birds. They're very nutritious. And so if you have a good population of native plants, especially uh, woody ones, but herbaceous, too, are extremely important, you'll have a lot of caterpillars, you'll have a lot of butterflies, and you'll also have a lot more birds because the birds will be feeding some of the caterpillars to their baby birds. Right, and as you point out, trees like the native oak are really, really essential. Very, very, very productive, as they Productive, say. productive. <laughs> but other other ones, I mean, there's here's one of the things that I, I feel that I did that was really uh, very useful, which is uh, I took Doug Ptolemy's entire list of trees and of course he writes for the yeah, north I saw the northeast that. I saw that. yeah. it's in the back of the book right, right? it's mm-hmm. it's a it's one of the uh it, what uh, page is that on? that's on page 393 which gives you an idea wait a second so you know how big this book is okay i'm going to drop it here Ooh. all right that that's what that book sounds <laughs> yes. like all right as i was reading this book it was like i couldn't hold it i had to put a pillow on oh my, my goodness <laughs> by the way uh, ben there's going to be a spike on the uh, the audio file there so just so you know he just woke up yeah, okay. <laughs> with that thunk but, ben's not even looking yeah so i took doug ptolemy's list of 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 uh, plants and he, as i say he he writes for the uh mid-Atlantic area, but mm-hmm. it's it's applicable, definitely sure, applicable sure. to our area, which is because it's really amazing how the plants, many of them are the same, not all, but uh, he doesn't cover all the plants that are in the Midwest. But at any rate, I put them in order of productivity of butterfly and moth species laying their eggs. Which one is the best? It's the oak, hosting 534 different species. Then comes cherry, native cherries. Then comes native willows. Then birch. Then poplar. Then maple and box elder. Then elm. Then pines. Then hickory, spruce, and so on until you get down to 
some of the uh, trees that have the fewest, like the Kentucky coffee tree, only has five species. But that's a native. And that's you, a and, native. And, and you would think that you know, uh, that's a tree that's – I didn't realize that there were so few species associated with the Kentucky coffee tree, and they've planted a lot of those in Chicago. Listen, the Kentucky coffee tree may only host five species, but it's a native tree – and it's a lot better than the ginkgo, which is one of my, which I hate. You'll be happy to know I killed the ginkgo in my backyard. Good for you. It was 20 feet tall, and I did not do it on purpose, but I killed it, all right? With and a we, non-native. With a non-native. Another non-native killed my ginkgo. Which, <laughs> it, sweet woodruff. It, it formed a mat oh. around the base of the tree in a very wet spring, uh, the tree rotted all the way around the base and cut off the circulation, and it died. Um, and so it was almost fitting. It was it, yeah, it was it was some kind of poetic justice in that one non-native killed another non-native. Yeah, that's very nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, another of the non-natives that I'm very disturbed about is the Japanese lilac tree. You you know these non-natives they have their fashions and you can kind of walk around and see you know the streets are lined uh, of course they they're lined with uh, Bradford pears Ew. but they're horrible non-native invasive <laughs> plants but of course they're lined a little bit less now because they tend to self-destruct after ten or fifteen years and and, and the, the <laughs> idea is to tell people please do not buy you know the I went to and I'm sure you've been to these. Um, it was an inv- a conference about invasives a few years ago. Right. And I had uh, these nursery owners get up and defend Bradford pears. You want to know why? Yes, I bet I can tell you. Ooh. Oh, I bet, I bet you can, too. Well, I have one reason I know they do. They say they're small and they can be under wires, under, uh, you know, you know, electric wires. No, it was, even, it was even oh, worse okay. than that. Well, the reason was... But we have them in stock. Oh, of course. Mm-hmm. For the next five years, we yes. have stock. So give us five years. And, you know, if I'm, if I'm emperor, I'm, I'm telling people right now, if you, you're growing a you in your front yard or you're growing a, 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 a lilac, I'm giving you a ticket and say that you got to replace that. you got to rip that out and, 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 a, a, and fix it. A ticket it. or suggestions, here's the five things to replace it with. Or, or maybe the oops thing that the— Yeah, the oops from the recycling. The recycling. But, but here, replace it with this. All right, a ticket that, yeah, 10% off on a native plant somewhere. That's what Right, well, yes, and it would be nice if, if uh, nurseries would offer uh, alternative native species that— do the same thing that somebody happens to love. Well, and, and one of the things you mentioned, and you just mentioned those lists of, of mm-hmm. trees, uh, for instance, all right, prunus, cherry trees. Um, there are plenty of natives that support insects, and yet you can go to a nursery, and they're going to push you toward the non-native. You're going to have a hard time tracking down the native. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that happens with a lot of these different uh, trees uh, and, and shrubs too, uh, and and what I it's kind of, you know what folks need to do they need to get a copy of Midwestern Native uh, sh- uh, Shrubs and Trees and go through and circle with a marker uh, under non-native and find out how many of these things they actually have growing in their and, yard. And it's very surprising some of the things you look at that you think you thought should be native. You thought was a native and it's not, and and you realize you're growing. Okay, here's a classic classic example. Butterfly bush, Budleia. All right. Um, a lot of folks say, well, we should all be growing butterfly bush because it attracts butterflies and it's good for our butterflies. Why is Budleia not good for our butterflies? Well, it doesn't. When a butterfly lands on a Budleia and it sips the nectar, it's not going to hurt the butterfly. But the point is, it's the situation of space. People put in one of these butterfly bushes and they they should be putting in if they want to help really help the butterfly uh, a native shrub that also produces beautiful flowers such the, as well i have a list here i have um you have to look up and see uh the butterfly bush there's a whole bunch of them well i've got i've got butterfly uh bush it's on page 129 uh and then your native alternative uh, alternatives are Butterfly shrub, shrubby sinkfoil, shrubby potentilla, um, bottle brush, buckeye, uh, button, button brush, honey bu- bush. Um, you've got e- eclethra, 
Sweet, Sweet pepper bush. Right. I mean, so there's a oh, lot there's of different lots things. Of them. And, yeah. You know, there's many, many, many lovely uh, bushes that one could have instead of butterfly bush. There are also beautiful flowers like Joe Pie weed mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, many herbaceous flowers that one could put in that would also attract butterflies. So, mm-hmm. I mean, as far as attracting butterflies, I mean, you don't have to import a bush from China, which is where butterfly bush is from. To attract butterflies. I mean, this continent had bushes attracting butterflies for millions of years. <laughs> we and, we and, were know, attracting yeah. butterflies before you knew how to so, do it. So, you know, it. I mean, that's just silly, really, if you think about it. Yeah. But the problem is, uh, is one, they've become invasive because they've been overplanted. The more you plant— I, They're so illegal I, in Washington State. Yes, they are so invasive that some smart— uh, progressive states outlaw them, but not I Illinois. Be- I believe they're illegal in New Zealand. The oh, country. they're they're illegal in different countries. Yeah. A lot of countries actually outlaw these plants. But we are protective of our nursery industry here. Okay, uh, I want to get into that. Hold in a that second. thought. Uh, hold that thought. <laughs> Charlotte Edelman and Bernard L. Schwartz, the authors of Midwestern Native Shrubs and Trees. Your comments are welcome. Eight four seven four seven five fifteen ninety. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki and. In a couple of minutes, we'll come and lay waste to the horticultural industry Uh in the United States. Stick around. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? That's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural, professional hair care products available to make sure you get exceptional color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins ordinarily found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots offers non-toxic, vegan-friendly nail services. They've also just introduced a complete menu of natural hair care services for textured hair of all lengths. And how many salons do you think repurpose hair clippings, recycled product containers, and use LED lighting? Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at organicrootsecosalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. Chicagoans are looking for ways to get healthier in 2017. Hi, I'm Peggy, and I publish Natural Awakening, Chicago's greenest and healthiest local magazine. And if you want to reach this growing wellness market, you need to get your business in front of our 80,000 monthly readers. Why? Because our advertisers tell us our targeted readers are committed to improving their health and taking action. They're looking for holistic wellness practitioners, integrative doctors and dentists, nutritionists, health and lifestyle coaches, yoga classes, green landscapers, even home improvement and energy efficiency experts. Our dedicated readers pick up their free copies each month from more than 1,100 locations throughout the city and suburbs because they know it's the best source for information about healthy, green living in Chicago. Call me today at 847-858-3697 to learn more. That's 847-858-3697. And check us out at nachicago.com. Natural awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. What is this anyhow? This is your talk. This is America, Jack. On 1590 WCGO. Evanston, Chicago. Or you could make a little birdhouse actually in your yard. Or you could plant... Put plants in there that the the birds want to come and visit and pick caterpillars off of, and then and, stay in your yard in their little birdhouse. And exactly, and you should have heard like my uh, house runs. We we got uh, Bernie going here during the break <laughs> uh, about butterfly bush, uh, and he and he wanted to bring up something. So I'm going to make you you tell us, Bernie. <laughs> What and by the way, uh, that's uh, Bernard L. Schwartz uh, and Charlotte Edelman in the studio, uh, the authors of Midwestern Native Shrubs and Trees. And it's published by Ohio University Press. Go to my website, mikenovak.net. You can get a link and order your book today. Bernie, what's the problem? The real problem with butterfly bush? Well, I'm going to let the writer explain <laughs> what what oh, it is. Come on, Bernie. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, well, I love to get a word in edgewise when I'm with <laughs> dear Bernie. So I'll, his point, which is extremely important, is that no butterfly in North America can lay her eggs on butterfly bush from China. So even what good is something that will feed butterflies if you don't have any butterflies to feed? Mm-hmm. So when you're choosing shrubs, if you're choosing non-natives like that the native uh, critters can't lay their eggs on, the, that the native butterflies cannot utilize because they did not – they co-evolved with native plants and they developed digestive systems that could digest native plants. And their digestive systems are unable – to, to digest 90% of the non-native plants that we have around. And butterfly bush is one of them. So when you have a butterfly, she comes and visits for a sip of nectar, but she cannot lay her eggs. So therefore, there'll be no second generation of butterflies. So that's one of the big drawbacks about butterfly bush. So, there you go. So, you know, it's and another well, it's thing. Well, like, it's like the, the, the know, monarchs who need milkweed. Exactly. Weed. This mm-hmm. is the only thing they're going to lay their eggs That's on right. and what the caterpillars are going to feed on is milkweed. Yeah, a, a, a monarch is going to alight on something else and it, and it might uh, uh, get nectar from a, a, a different kind of flower. But in terms of food... It uh, for the young and for laying eggs, that is the plant. It's got to mm-hmm. be a milkweed. Yeah, they can only reproduce on milkweeds. That's monarchs and other butterflies of other plants. Other plants, right? Reproduce and I mean, it's amazing how many plant, uh, butterflies and moss reproduce on, for example, oak trees. Five hundred and thirty-four species. I mean, we think of butterflies as monarchs, but there's. 534 other species that lay their eggs on oak trees. So- yeah, and you you had mentioned uh, some of the other uh, species there, uh, and I was kind of amazed. Willow is high up on the list. It is. Poplar, uh, 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 elm, uh, what was the, I believe, cottonwood. And, and a lot of people think cottonwood is a junk tree. They just say, mm-hmm. get rid of it, cut it down. Uh, that's crazy because it's providing... Nutrients for our insects. It is. It's a big butterfly producer. But not only that, it's such an iconic tree. It really makes me very sad when people feel that way because when the pioneers came to North America, they looked at for cottonwoods. And when they found, saw the water was there, the water was there. Mm -hmm. They were walking across this huge prairie. We had 22 million acres of prairie in Illinois. And you can imagine how exhausting it was to tramp along without any water. And if they saw a cottonwood, they knew there was a, a water system, a, a river or a stream. So the cottonwood is a wonderful tree. And, of course, Orioles love to make their nests on cottonwoods. If You you know, the prairie that I helped create in Wilmette? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there was this gorgeous cottonwood tree next to the prairie and it always had Oriole nests hanging from it. It's been cut down because it was hit by lightning, which Aww. was a very, very sad event. In my yeah, opinion. it is. And, and while you've brought that up, and before we get to the industry, um, you know, which doesn't really, you're not going to buy a cottonwood. You're not going to walk into a local nursery and they're gonna, not going to sell you a cottonwood. I can get, guarantee that. Uh, but Centennial Park in Wilmette. Uh, this is, uh, I went there last year and took some photos. I popped one on my, my blog uh, for today's show. What a beautiful uh, little prairie, pocket prairie that you established there in Wilmette at Centennial Park. And you have to tell the people in Wilmette, because I went to the website yesterday, and they said, in 2010, Charlotte will be uh, putting seeds here. And I just thought, oh, come on. You gotta, you're got you kidding me. You've got this beautiful, beautiful area that Charlotte created. And I, I was there, I think, the second season when it was still just coming together when we taped the uh, the TV show, uh, Dig in Chicago. Uh, and then I went there last year, and it's much more mature. And it's stunning, and it used to be this little depression of turf. And a place where I imagine stuff drained. And you took it and you put in prairie. What kind of prairie plants uh, did you put in there? Well, I put in uh, for the, it's two acres, by the way. Is it really yeah, that big? It yeah. doesn't seem like it's I, that big. Yeah, but. I know. It's hard to judge how big it is. But it's, it's according to the park district, it's two acres. And uh, the the basin part, which is still there, it is a basin. It is sure. a detention basin doesn't get that full of water anymore because it's planted with a uh, mix, especially for detention basins, which consists of prairie plants that like moist or wet uh, soils. And so they have established their very deep roots. Prairie plant roots go down up to 20 feet. So they 
uh, absorb and drink in all the water. So now it's it's always going to be moist and a little wet, but it's mm-hmm. not like I once saw people kayaking in it. <laughs> I mean, that's probably not going to happen again. No, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> uh, wow. And, and, and have you been there uh, recently? Yeah, like uh, two days ago. Okay, or what's what, what, what are the highlights right now uh, as of two days ago at this time of the year? Well, oh boy, you, you, when it comes, <laughs> when uh, it comes, you on the spot, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, right now the flowers, a lot of, I should say that the um, indigos. There were some gorgeous blue and white indigos blooming. I mean, you're familiar with mm-hmm. the yes, wild yes. blue mm-hmm. indigo and the wild white indigo, and they were just stunning. But now they've basically moved into more getting their seeds, which will be black, mm-hmm. and also you can use them as little musical instruments. They have little seeds, you know, with pods with little noise in them. Um, so, but now the uh, plants are starting to all the yellow flowers are all starting to turn yellow. So uh, it's the, the got uh, any of the purples in there? At well, the... the purples will start in really late August and September. So it's getting into its yellow phase. It's soon going to be almost all yellow. And then, which is an amazing sight, especially when you look into the basin, because it's got a patchwork of colors here that astounds me every year, golds and yellows and greens, and it's just gorgeous. And and give me the intersection again for people who want to go up there. It's at Wilmette and Crawford in Wilmette, Mm -hmm. and there's parking at the Centennial... Field house, field house, yeah, yes. yeah, and, and where they yeah. got a pool and everything. Right. And, and hey, you folks in Wilmette, <laughs> would you fix the website? Would you bring it up to date? For crying out loud, that's a crime that you you haven't <laughs> done that. And they you, they need to go and take some photos this year and pop them on the website. Yes. Crawford and and where Wilmette, Wilmette. Yeah, well, I wish more people would come actually and, and visit it because people tell me how they love it, and they often love it from a distance. They drive by, and it's very fragrant. The odors of these lovely flowers and grasses mm-hmm. will waft into the car. And you will see butterflies and bees. Well, the and... closer you get, that's some, that's yeah. what really got the interest of, of people was when they get close to it. And mm-hmm. I do give... Um, little uh, tours and things. I'll, I'll keep you posted on my latest tour for your blog. All right, cool. Because, uh, yeah, and mm-hmm. um, when you get closer, you see uh, grasshoppers. I mean, where did they come from? Oh, no, no, you've got to kill those. You get, I know some <laughs> sprays that you can use on, on grasshoppers. I mean, so. I was so amazed when I saw grasshoppers. They're like, yeah. where did they come from, you know? And various kinds of they butterflies appear, yeah. and all kinds of bees mm-hmm. and dragonflies. And here's the thing right now. If you go at night... There is a display of fireflies. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. It's gorgeous. Fireflies are great. Yes, yeah. and it's two acres, my... two acres of fireflies at night. One of the things I've learned uh, is that if you just leave the stuff on your on 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 the soil level in your yard, the detrius, the duff, whatever you want to call it, leave it. Just leave it and you'll get fireflies. That's right. You've given one of the secrets. The other secret is to to stop having all the lights on. That because they're competing, their little light system competes with the the lights, the electric mm-hmm. lights, and they lose because they can't uh, overcome that. So, it's widely people who know about fireflies ask people to turn their lights off mm-hmm. and let it be dark, and then have, as you say, the the. Um, and, and it's because kind of the problem is we're neatness freaks. We we, are. we just. What what is that about? It's like this this horrible horrible idea that everything needs to be clipped and chopped and raked and blown and first give, here's a good first step get rid of your leaf blower just just get, get oh rid i of it. absolutely agree with that <laughs> here's another thing about fireflies so they are little they're uh beetles <clears throat> but when they have their uh caterpillar let's say for the larva form yeah underground they're little predators and they go around eating everything i even think they probably eat the japanese beetle uh, larva hmm. that'd so be I, nice that i How cannot cool that? i cannot say that for sure but they eat everything that that they can get their little mouths around so <laughs> they're little firefly mouths around they're right. they're the ones who are doing all the work I'll send them of, after my chipmunks yeah. oh <laughs> Uh, anyway, we were what, what we said we were going to come back and 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 offer an indictment of the uh, horticultural industry, and and there really is one because, to my mind, in the 21st century, in 2017, there's no reason why they're still hyping the latest and the greatest and the newest hybrid and all the same old same old plants that we've been putting in our yards for 60 years and chasing away all of our native insects, and yet. 
the industry continues to do that. They they have the little section over there. If you want natives, you go over to the side, and there's a little section, you know, and it and it it's, it doesn't even compete with all the other garbage that they have in the other the the non-natives and the exotic stuff that comes over from China and from Europe and and or the native R's native or native R. Yeah, you you sort of rail against native R's as well in there. Although. As uh, I've told Peggy and I've told other people, I, I wrote an article about native R's for Chicagoland Gardening Magazine. And a native R, by the way, is a native plant that you breed so that it becomes not quite a native but something else. And, um, uh, oh, my goodness, the fellow who runs um, uh, Possibility Place, Connor Shaw, uh, he's, you know, he's very funny. He's very cranky. And he said, oh, you know, those, those coneflowers all, revo- all resort to purple anyway. They revert to purple eventually. So... Um, you know, his feeling was he didn't have much use for native R's well, either. Well, they not only do that, but they actually don't do very well. Uh, I mean, I've seen that, that you put in uh, these native R's uh, for a lot of the perennial flowers, and, and they they sort of become shabby, and then they sort of disappear. Because they don't have any uh, actual defenses. It's all been bred out of them. They're bred mm-hmm. by man. They're not really native anymore. They're bred by man to be clones of some something or other. Um, so that's what you find when you go into most nurseries and look for a native plant. I tell you what, I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to keep you on for one more segment, okay? (laughs) This this, this conversation is too good. That's Charlotte Edelman. Uh, Bernard L. Schwartz is also in the studio, authors of Midwestern Native Shrubs and Trees. We really need to talk, though, about what happens when you go into a garden center, okay, before we finish today. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Molecki. We'll be right back. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Sound red alert. Shields up. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan Poe, author of my favorite children's stories. Captain, I am attempting to access a copy of the masterpiece. Hmm, it seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. 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 Yes, Mr. Watt. Yes, Captain. AroundTheBlockPress.com. How many times can I say it? If you're looking to invest in an electrical car or truck, make sure to hire a state-licensed electrical contract. The installation of that charger will require a permit in most municipalities. So make sure to check the ICC website for a certified contractor at icc.illinois.gov. You can also call DNR Services Unlimited. They've been a licensed electrical contractor since 1992. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at MikeNow. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, mike at mikenovak.net. Speaking of the website, podcasts and blog posts are available every week at mikenovak.net. And while you're there, sign up for those posts and our newsletter on the homepage. And please, support the sponsors who support us. Look for logos and specials at mikenovak.net. This is your talk. One of the few true originals of our time. On 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. Don't you hate it when it fades up slow like that? Then Ben, <laughs> Ben's sitting there. Do I have to hit his uh, song? It's like, should uh, I put Thriller on again? Yeah, yeah. No more Thriller, please. <laughs> Uh, hey, listen, since we're talking natives on today's show, I want to tell you about a story in the July-August issue of Chicagoland Gardening Magazine. It's about a guy in a suburban Riverside who is a high school math teacher and sports coach. But his real claim to fame is that he plants 1,000 native trees each year, and he's done that for 10 years. 
He harvests the seeds from local black walnuts, various oaks, shagbark hickories, and more throughout the year, then gets volunteers to help him plant those seeds in November during his 1,000 tree planting project. Very cool. Now, I have a column on the inside back page of every issue, and I can't even get to 1,000 words. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. Go to chicagolandgardening.com. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600. Do it now. Get yourself a subscription, 888-265-3600. We're we're in overtime here. It's kind of like when Bill Maher does his Mm -hmm. thing. and he invites people to stay on, except that we're still on the air here on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki talking to Charlotte Edelman and Bernie Schwartz, who has actually twice now jumped into the conversation. So um, this is so unlike you, Bernie. Uh, and they are the authors of Midwestern Native Shrubs and Trees. And I, I, I do want to get back, though, to that point we were trying to make, which is... Uh, w- and I use this for other things when I talk about chemicals, chemical use and lawns. We've been brainwashed. We've been completely brainwashed. And unfortunately, and, and you know, and the horticultural industry has supported me over the years. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. Now, my, my chance to repay them is to smack them upside the head and say, amend your ways. You know, because we, if, if you listen to Doug Tallamy, we're going to lose these insects. Okay, and he's not the only one. There are other people who talk about insect biomass, planet-wide insect biomass, and how it is declining. And if we lose insect, we which insect do we lose? That is the bolt, the rivet in the airplane that makes the plane fall out of the sky, meaning that the whole planet crashes because we lose this one key connection. We don't know. It's you. It's probably a cumulative thing. But the problem is. The the horticultural industry, the nurseries are still selling you the shiny trinkets, the 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 the, the latest and greatest, the, the latest and greatest, whether it's a peony and, you know, and peony in my mind is 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 fairly benign. I, I note in, in, in I went back to look at your Midwestern native garden book and, and you say that, yeah, in some areas, peonies can actually be invasive. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I never realized that uh, even the benign plants in other places can be not so benign uh, if they're not from this area, whereas the natives are always generous. They're generous to other species. How do we turn the Titanic around instead of just rearranging? Right now we're just rearranging the deck chairs when we put a, you know the little native section in the corner that nobody goes and visits because they're, they're dazzled by the latest whatever hydrangea that blooms blue, which is w- what we want in the world. It has uh, sparkles on it. Yeah, sparkles <laughs> on it or whatever else. How do we t- turn that around? Well, you know, first of all, I just want to say one little thing, uh, which is our nursery industry is really um, reflective of our, our, our immigrant past. I mean, we have to understand where we came from. Mm-hmm. We all, this country was... Uh, Aside from the Native Americans, the uh, Europeans who came here came, and they this was all new to them. They had never seen the plants. Mm-hmm. They'd never seen the animals. You know, I mean, the whole thing was new, and so they were very lonely uh, for their Native uh, vegetation, which was what they thought was attractive, what mm-hmm. they'd lived with for thousands and of years. And they didn't know any of the stuff that we're talking about That's now, right. that, 200 well, that years was, ago, that, 300, That was 400. never on their mind. Yeah. And, and, so they, and so then the nurseries that developed – uh, wanted that were pandering, not pandering really, providing their customers with, with what they needed and wanted, which was plants from Europe. Well, that's the mindset that we've developed mm-hmm. in this country, and, and that's what the nurseries are still doing. And so for us to start thinking in terms of something entirely different, which isn't just having the uh, the aesthetic I love uh, aesthetics. I'm very uh, visually minded. I mean, that's something that's very important to me is how things look. But you can find the beauty in native plants if you just open your eyes and it's there. You don't have to have a plant that's imported from China and Japan. It's a shift in mindset. It's it's not really even a big one because Mm -hmm. they're beautiful. They are intrinsically beautiful. You just have to be willing to accept the fact that there's something else that's beautiful besides what you've always thought of as beautiful for the last umpteen years. And I think 
and, and so the, the nursery industry is not going to stop selling non-natives and nativars, which I consider to be one of the tragedies of our contemporary time because they're man-made plants. They're not mm-hmm. really native plants. They've been fiddled around with in sort of test tubes, you might say. Franken-native. Exactly. And they do not, many of them, I don't, they, first of all, no one knows what their impact really is because no one's really studied it. It's starting to be studied. And they know many of them do not provide the uh, insects and birds with what they need. There are seedless flowers, seedless, let's say, uh sunflowers or or a plant that's known for its seeds, mm-hmm. let's say. Well, that doesn't help a goldfinch. And then there are the purple-colored leaves that have been doctored up like a nine bark. And the native insects that that plant hosts cannot feed on them because there's chemical changes. Yeah, yeah you, 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 you were you saying variegated it. leaves, right. too. And the, variegated you, have less nutrition. So then the you birds... change the physiology yeah, exactly. of these plants and the insects can't really cope with exactly. it. Exactly. And then the birds don't have that bird food. I mean, so people think, oh, I want a purple leafed oh, plum. You know, that's so beautiful. Oh, I love purple uh, leaves on plants. Well, you know, just stop for a minute and say, I'll think about it maybe in five years. In the meantime, try getting the normal <laughs> green stuff. And, and you'll s- get over it. Lock yourself in yes, a closet until you get you over know, it, basically. You know, it's like, you know, put aside that piece of yeah. birthday cake or something. But but they see it on the on the HTV shows, not to pick on them, on the home and garden shows oh, and yes, in no, the gardening no, no, magazines, have, no, and they're no, we beautiful. Have to, we have to pick on them. We well, I meant not just that, because it's, but all of them. I know, but all of it. All of, it's like all of the above, and it's not just the eye. It has to be the other senses that are involved and a sense of history and that's why i said here in 2017 you said yeah 300 400 years or 200 years ago whatever you know we were doing this because Mm -hmm. people came from they wanted plants from their their homelands we're past that we should be i mean we understand that now this is the information age or whatever you want to call it now there's enough information around and it's readily available i mean nobody can now really honestly say that they do not have access to up-to-date information. I mean, if they don't want to read it, they don't want to hear it, that's one thing. But it's there, and they have uh, they can access information that will tell them that if they want birds and butterflies, they have to plant native plants. There you go. And and I want to make sure that people understand it's not just prairie plants. It's no. also trees and shrubs oh, absolutely. And, and ephemerals. And ground and sh- covers. Yeah. Sh- and, and shade plants and, and, and wet plants and the whole thing's. Uh, and and this is why you need a copy of the Mid, uh, Midwestern Native Shrubs and Trees by Charlotte Edelman and Bernard L. Schwartz. Uh, it will guide you to making intelligent choices about the bones of your garden, which are the trees and the shrubs. Thank you both so much for being here today. Uh, I hope everybody rushes out and gets a copy <laughs> of the book. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Uh, tomorrow we've got. Oh, and by the way, Rick DeMaio was not here. He's in Iceland. I think you might have known if you listened to us last Sunday. Yeah, doing a a climate change seminar with students from Loyola. Loyola. He won't be here for a couple of weeks, but we'll pump him for a Tomorrow we got a packed show. In fact, including a monarch butterfly update from Alan Lawrence at the Peggy Norbart Nature Museum. Lee Batala from Seed Savers Exchange and Open Lands. All right, until, until tomorrow, go green or go home. Uh, Stadler? Oh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.